Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Close all university departments for black, Latino, women, gender, queer studies, and so forth as incompatible with science and dismiss its faculties as intellectual imposters or scoundrels. As well, demand that all affirmative action commissars, diversity and human resource officers from universities on down to schools and kindergartens be thrown out onto the street and be forced to learn some useful trade. Six, crush the anti-fascist mob. The transvaluation of all values throughout the West, the invention of ever more victim groups, the spread of affirmative action programs, and the relentless promotion of political correctness has led to the rise of an anti-fascist mob, tacitly supported and indirectly funded by the ruling elites this self-described mob of social justice warriors has taken upon itself the task of escalating the fight against white privilege through deliberate acts of terror directed against anyone and anything deemed racist, right-wing, fascist, reactionary, incorrigible, or unreconstructed. Such enemies of progress are physically Good evening. This is Clifton Knox, David German, and our guest host, Elliot Wilson with Punching Left. And we're back for episode 21, which is kind of a milestone for us. Uh, This episode coincides with something that was a little bit unexpected on our part. Uh, This morning, uh, a conversation with David. uh, And one of the things that we found out is that Punching Left has been included on a list from fm.player as being top 50 alt-right podcasts out there for 2018 and also uh, being among the best, which that number is less than 50. So we were kind of shocked, I mean, for several different reasons. One of the, on my part, is we've never came out and said, hey, we're alt-right. And we've never even insinuated it honestly we've just discussed topics the way that we wanted to just talked about these things in a way that we thought was proper because we like to discuss facts and truths you know there are some things out there that are objectively true how much of how many things are out there that are objectively true i can't tell you but there are objective truths Uh, i can tell you for instance mathematics is one If you want to dispute with me that arithmetic is objectively true, then you and I are going to have some problems. Uh, So so there are objective truths. 
Um, so, so honestly, we just discussed these topics this way. David, were you shocked when you saw us on the list for all right? These all right lists. Kind of, but it kind of made sense at the same time because of the topics, topic name that um, mm-hmm. we discuss, like South African um, stuff and the um, um, Western civilization, Western culture that's popped up that that immediately will probably get you tagged there. And if people of interest who are interested in the subject are listening, then um, somehow we got lumped into there. Well, I, I think it's funny. I mean, first of all, I don't take it as an insult. Let me just say that. It doesn't bother me. Um, and second of all, I mean, it's not a it's not a title that I sought after or that you sought after, though it's not a title that we're going to shun either. So if, if talking about these topics, which I think are important topics, um, put a lump us in with certain groups, then by all means, you go ahead and, you know, they can do whatever they want. Uh, but I'm not, we're not actively seeking any titles. So, so Elliot, you're, you're on it with us again, and I'm glad to have you back. How are you doing tonight? Oh, it's another glorious day. I, I don't have any complaints. <laughs> so, so what do you think about, um, the revelation that we're in the top, we're in the we're among the best podcasts of 2018 for the alt right. I don't know what to think about that. I I would think that there would be more. Oh, the culture war has got a big big hill to climb. I guess. <laughs> I guess so. So. So it's kind of a uh, – for me, it's a double-edged sword. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I've changed much over the years, so I, I don't see it as I, – I, I'm just doing things as usual. I go by the tag the brutalist on social media most of the time uh, because um, I don't have a whole lot of, uh, I guess you could say, prerequisites on what makes a person a libertarian or what isn't, you know. Uh, I think some people may have taken it to, to mean that I'm kind of a brutal individual when it comes to <laughs> my thoughts and ideas, but uh, yeah, whatever you want. So, so I guess uh, when we look at this, um, uh, for me, honestly, it, it's more way more positive than it is negative because it it gives us a um, some it gives us some visibility to a, a wide audience, a larger audience. And it allows people to listen, go back and listen to our older episodes, see what we're about. Uh, uh, David, I mean, do you do you have any particular episodes that you find you know that are your favorites out of the ones that we've done over the last three months or so, four months? Uh, obviously, the last one about the Crusades, Western civilization, uh, with that Rick story and um, argumentation ethics with Kinsella. That was um, um, that was pretty profound. Yeah, there's some huge – I mean, there's a big highlight there. Um, I, I think uh, – uh, well, Elliot, what about you? you? I mean, you've been on a few episodes with us. Maybe you've listened to a couple. Do you have any in particular that you liked? I really enjoyed the conversations we had with that um, guest host from – I want to say it was Ireland. 
Because it, I don't. Oh, uh, are you talking about uh, Anthony Samaroff from the Scottish Liberty podcast? Yes, yes. And I apologize. I got the the no, that's okay. location wrong. But yeah, no, no. Um, I really enjoyed that episode. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I like uh, that. Was good. That was a lot of fun. I agree, and definitely would like to have Anthony back on at some point. Um, I think uh, for me, some of my favorite episodes, definitely episode two was a favorite of mine. We had on, uh, 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 I guess uh, we had on uh, Pinochet Hall and IANCAP, that's right, and we discussed um, uh, cultural Marxism, had a lot of fun. Uh, Guy that does Pinochet Ball is pretty funny. He's a pretty hilarious guy. I think the one where we had Eli Harmon on, I I really enjoyed that episode. Eli uh, went a long way to clearing up a lot of um, things about propertarianism, the Propertarianism Institute, and explaining that whole um, uh, philosophy and the whole concept of it for me. Uh, So I was very appreciative to have Eli on. I think it meant a lot to the show. Uh, and then again, you were right. I mean, having on um, uh, Rich Story and all, you know that that show uh, where we talked about common law and natural law was definitely one of my favorites. Uh, that was very informative. And then Stefan Kinsella and uh, Dr. Bill Warner. Yeah. So I mean, there's been a lot of I, I, we've just done so many episodes. It's hard to remember all of them, to be honest. Um. So, so thinking about all of this being included on that list, I guess we we kind of come to an episode where we're we're asking questions ourselves about our identity. You know, who who we are as a as a show and what we want to accomplish and where we want to go. And you know, what does this mean as far as we go? So, I guess David, when when someone says talks to you about the alt right, I mean, what is the what does it mean? What's the alt right mean to you? Does it mean you're like a rabid? Nazi and you want to go out and and kill everybody and you hate people that aren't white and so on? Uh, No, and uh, their motto, uh, the alt-right's motto, I'm probably going to mess this up real bad, is that um, equality is bullshit. Um, The races are different. The sexes are different. Um, The white race matters. Um, All cultures are not equal. And we're not obligated to think that they are. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember all of it, but that's what it—that's part of their motto. So, so when I think about that, um, I, I do. I think some sometimes you know, there are certain people who are in the alt right that that are very aggressive about that message now for me um i i don't believe that all races are the same we're not the same do i think well i don't know about equality equality under the law that's possible i don't think equality in general is possible you you can't have equality of outcomes you can't have equality of um you know we, we're just and and that even goes down to the individual basis it doesn't matter i mean racially racial wise you know, uh, two individuals of the same race, they're not going to be equal. You just can't have equality. So, and for, from an evolutionary psychology standpoint, for me, um, I, I view things from two different levels. You know, there's individual evolution and there's group evolution. So, if you understand that and you accept that, and believe me, this is a real discipline. This is not some made up discipline. They're writing books and it's a discipline that's taught in universities. Um, 
then you realize that if, if all individuals aren't equal and we evolve, then all groups can't be equal either, and we evolve. So that's something we have to accept. So, Elliot, what does it mean? What is the alt-right? When someone says alt-right to you, honestly, what does it mean? How, how does that hit you? So there's there's two sides of the coin. What I believe the alt-right means is originally there was the right wing, as in the Republican Party, which turned into a party of John McCain, so to speak, which and George Bush's, which the country or I myself were terribly displeased with. And so there was a new group that kind of originally stemmed from the Tea Party before that got hijacked, but then moved into a group that is, I think, a bit more libertarian and um, also a bit isolationist that isn't interested in mainstream uh, conservative values as they were being portrayed, but still were right-wing. That is alt-right as it came to be, from what I understand. So like an alternative? And then on the flip side, um, I believe that the opposition party, Democrats, etc., did their best to associate the alt-white right with Nazism, etc., in uh, their best effort to discredit and um, try to break the morale of this group of people so that they wouldn't feel comfortable organizing and speaking their political beliefs. Not necessarily because they were any of those things, Nazis, etc., but just because they're they feared what they had to say and wanted to use any methods at their disposal to silence them. Right. I, I I don't disagree with that. Now, when you say isolationist, I have a tendency to think it's more of a non-interventionist because, I mean, it, it, most of the people that I've talked to on the all right, they still want to trade. They still want to have diplomacy. They just don't want to go around sticking their nose in everybody's business militarily, even really I, diplomatically. They don't want to stick their nose in other people's business. What do you think about that, Elliot? Yes, I think it's much more um, soft intervention than hard militarial intervention or military intervention. I think that the interest is that with the economy that we have and the pull we have around the world, we should be able to manipulate most events without ever having to put boots on the ground. In our own interest. And I think that this alt-right movement that I I do believe Trump um, exemplifies, the greatest example of this is I personally believe that Trump flexed his muscles, so to speak, or America's muscles, so to speak, at China in more of an economic sense and got China to bring North Korea to heel. And I don't – I think that – Part of this North Korea talk is that Trump was able to leverage China in a way that no other president has been able to. Well, do you think that's because he basically pulled out the nuclear option of massive amounts, billions and billions of dollars of trade sanctions? Not just pulled it out, but meant it. Right. Well, I mean... I think we've had this discussion, David and I have had this discussion before, haven't we, David? Oh, about um, 
China, the trade war with China. Yeah, plenty of times. Yeah. yeah see, one of the funny things about it is that uh, there, there's a couple things here at play for for us. And may, I don't know if we exemplify the alt right on this, or even uh, there's a lot of ANCAPs, uh, both conservative and non-conservative, that would disagree with us on this. I happen to not have a problem with tariffs placed on certain countries, China being one of them, North Korea being another. Uh, and there, there's reasons for that. Uh, a lot of it is because uh, you're, you're not really dealing with private businesses. You're dealing with um, government-owned operations or state-owned entities, a lot of cases uh, nationalized foreign industries. And so they suffer from the calculation problem already. And if you slap a tariff on that good, when I say cap, cap, uh, calculation problem, economic calculation problem, which is something David and I talk about, we're talking about the fact that their pricing is broken. It doesn't; it's not representative of actual market activity. It's what causes distortions in the marketplace. And so, since their pricing is broken already, when you slap a tariff on it, you can't really break the pricing anymore. I mean, it's already busted. You've already caused all kinds of problems. Um, and now, at this point, the only thing you can try to do is maybe deter or try to limit the damage that the broken pricing on that good is causing in your free market because you have a, a private ownership-based free market, private property, entrepreneurial, et cetera. So I have absolutely no issues with tariffs on communist countries. I, I, for me, um, when we use the concept of physical removal, HAPA style, it's not just people. It can be certain goods uh, if, if they come from communist enterprises and – um, I also don't have a problem you, if you if you support a border to keep certain people out, then it would seem to me to be a performative contradiction to sub, to not support a border to keep out certain goods which may cause damage inside your economy that are coming from foreign communist countries. But uh, and really, when Trump did what he did, not only was he right to do it. But he had all the cards because we only export around 30 or 40, maybe $50 billion a year worth of trade of goods to them, and they export nearly a half a trillion to us. Oh, uh, what do you think ask, about that, David? Um, I wanted to ask you um, if um, someone told me that um, if uh, China's economic calculation problem um, didn't evolve uh, – Involve a, a market um, place, China would already combusted and, and their economy would be broken and and they already would have collapsed. Well, um, not, it's not their marketplace. The only thing that's kept them collapsing is our marketplace, and it's their ability to essentially p be parasites on it. Uh, they're siphoning wealth off. Their activities is primarily what they're doing is exporting poverty and unemployment uh, through with and they're using they're actually using the economic calculation problem to do it they're using it to their advantage they've turned it over they they're they're not only are they not only are they doing damage in our marketplace I mean which is a win win for them because they're damaging us they're causing they're they're increasing their levels of employment and decreasing ours which is also a win for them. So uh, they they could not they would have collapsed already if they had not been selling goods at, at, with with broken pricing on our market. 
doesn't matter if they have a true market or not. Um, well, yeah, but it does. But a communist nation can't have a true market. You can't have a true market without private ownership of, of property and goods. And they don't have any. Now, they have, they have what I call fake or simulated ownership in which they take a state agent, an actor, who works directly for the government, put him in charge of a corporation or a, or a business, and then he does their will, which is to try and make money, but he doesn't own it. And then, uh, in exchange, he gets certain guarantees. Uh, it's it's too big to fail perpetually. Man, what Hoppe talks about um, public ownership and high time preference rates that that only uh, would uh, make sense. Well, <laughs> you you can see it; it's rampant in China. They just executed another guy. This 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 guy who was running a business on behalf of the state, a, another business owner, for corruption the other day, another official. They're executing mm-hmm. corrupt officials left and right. Um, Elliot, are you, are, have you seen any... Oh, go ahead, David. I'm sorry. You have some more you want to say or ask? Yeah, um, even though we're not um, economically or um, socially um, libertarian much in any way um since we're mostly mixed market i'm i'm still glad i don't i don't live in some some place like china i agree i think that um <clears throat> what you're seeing is is you're seeing a, one an entire nation live action role playing at being capitalist in order to fool the whole world into thinking they're a capitalist nation and a capitalist economy, into doing business with them as though they're capitalists. And they're doing an immense amount of damage and extending their power by doing it. And they're doing it essentially by parasiting off. They're siphoning wealth and, and actual real productive energy off of the U.S. market like a, like a big fat tick. Tick, yeah, I was going to say tick. <laughs> yeah. So, Elliot, what what are your feelings on tariffs and trade? Turnabout's fair play? <laughs> Turnabout's fair play. Uh, elaborate, I mean, a, a, They obviously are able to manipulate their markets and place tariffs on us and do everything they can to manipulate their market to do better. So if they clearly have not just a finger on the their scales, but are literally sitting on it and bringing their friends, then maybe some sort of reaction from us is necessary. I do think that tariffs are inherently destructive, but if one person is just going ham with them, then the other guy has no choice. It's it's game theory where one person is just repeatedly shooting themselves in the foot and hoping that no one else... Well, they're not shooting themselves in the foot so long as no one else does anything back. But as soon as someone pushes back, they'll be in a world of hurt because they already are basically propping up a system that can't work. And that's why they crumble so easily to the threat of tariff is because they know they don't have a leg to stand on. Right. So, so I guess a good question would be, um, 
in, in their type of situation. I mean, <clears throat> you're aware of, of the steel dumping they were doing, correct? I mean, they were literally, I mean, literally, literally and figuratively, I guess, they were producing steel and using what we would call tax dollars to pay to to pay for the operating costs and to pay for the salaries, et cetera, of the workers and the people, and then selling the steel at a rate so cheap that they weren't turning. They were losing. They were really losing money. But they were doing it. They were targeting specific a specific industry to try and destroy the majority of, its, of their competition in that market. And then as soon as they had eliminated their competition, they were going to do what they've done in the other industries that they've destroyed, like textiles and so on. Raise their prices. Well, right, and that's—it's really not a bad idea. I mean, global monopoly is—is is kind of a interesting game to play, and if you can destroy uh, the the entire world's industries but yours, then you get to forever set the prices until it becomes profitable to actually rebuild the entire infrastructure for a steel industry, which is a massive upfront investment. You know what's what's not fair about it? If you're a free market economy with private ownership of property and production of goods, then you have an entity that uh, looks and behaves like a ma- like a just a massive gargantuan uh, corporation uh, that's able to siphon wealth off of other industries and its people at will in order to make up for the shortfalls in the steel industry, and so they can continue to dump. At, at a loss, not just they, – they're essentially selling at a loss. They can continue to dump that product onto the market indefinitely, indefinitely. Right. And I, that's the reason why I don't have a problem well, not indefinitely. On, on a country, but on a nation for a very like long time. Well, when I say indefinitely, if they wanted to do it, if that, if that state were in power and wanted to maintain that goal and they were in power for 500 years – and they wanted to do it for 500 years with the system that they have, they could. And as far as you well, and I are concerned, communism. because so, we only live 70 years, well, I'm saying because we only live 70 years, you might as well stay indefinitely. We only live 80 or 90 or 100 years. They can do it for a very long time. Well, I, I agree with you. I just I don't know how stable their government really is. Well, as, as long as they can continue to export their unemployment to the United States, they're going to be very stable. It gives them the illusion of of profitability. Well, I don't disagree at all. And I think that, you know, the whole idea behind enriching China, I think, um, globally, is that China is an absolutely massive market and could become a massive consumer market if things were developed. Um, I do say that the development that they're doing in China is questionable a lot of time. Um, but if they were able to grow a healthy economy in China, that wouldn't be a bad thing. It just seems to be incredibly parasitic. It is. It is. And I think, I guess the reason why David and I got into this and, um, this topic was because it's one of the areas that does separate us from uh, from libertarians. A lot of libertarians are very few of us who actually believe that tariffs are ever okay. I mean, they view tariffs the same way they do uh, immigrate uh, open borders. 
And that in that kind of the thing there, David, is that uh, they they view tariffs just like they view op- uh, open borders. A lot of libertarians, what we call Lulberts. Yeah, you can accept anyone into your system um, from a third world country and expect uh, expect grand things to happen. Um, expect surplus and and it's all it's it's almost all based around um Keynesian measures and it's kind of it's kind of ironic um a lot of these a lot of these figures you see um like when they're in debate uh they like to quote like with the open borders they like to quote oh um we can import as much people as we want and because um because it shows surplus, uh, and a lot of it's based on subsidies and taxation. A lot of these, um, uh, what open border policies comes from, and like bringing refugees in. That mm-hmm. that, that was subs that subsidies. It's government subsidy. Um, they think that t- taxation creates wealth. It's it's a broken window. <laughs> So right when you say that, I have. It, it, well, when he says that, and this is this is the, I think the point he's making, and I think it's a brilliant point, is that you're is that for instance, when we bring in a lot of people across the border, uh, one of the reasons why so many businesses are in favor of it is because they end up getting a lot of times refugees, students, so on. They end up getting money from the U.S. government. Those those refugees or 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 quote immigrants unquote. Um, have a tendency to to get government funding and then spend that with those businesses, whether it's renting apartments, buying goods, whatever. And so the businesses, they don't care where the money comes from so long as they're getting it. So it's a win for them. The same with Chinese goods. The the American people and so on, they see all these Chinese goods coming in. They're dirt cheap, and they don't really – at that point, they see how cheap it is. A lot of them just don't care where it comes from. Why and what's going on? What, what kind of long-term damage it's doing? And uh, so, go ahead, Elliot. What were you saying? The question I have, and maybe you can offer insight that I don't have, but it appears to me like there has been a concerted effort to hijack the Libertarian Party. I am not convinced that the Libertarians, prior to this most recent election year, would have agreed with open borders. That didn't seem to be something that I really experienced until very recently. And I would be curious if it isn't direct manipulation from people wearing a libertarian hat. Well, I I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I will tell you this. And David and I have spoken about this as well. I mean, we, we David and I speak a lot outside of the show. Of course, you and I do too. Um, I've spoken with Paul Gottfried, who was a friend of Murray Rothbard's. And he told me, straight to my face, that Murray Rothbard, Mr. Libertarian, the guy who really, honestly, you can look any way you want, he's, the, he's really the guy that started the Libertarian. He's the main catalyst for the Libertarian movement, the philosopher for the Libertarian movement through the 60s and the 70s, when the whole Libertarian movement could fit in his living room. And he said the only position for a true libertarian are closed borders. Now, that's not the only guy who said that to me. 
John Carney, who is a uh, advi- like a consultant advisor, economic advisor for uh, Breitbart News, and he used to write for the Wall Street Journal, also knew Murray Rothbard and spoken with him before. And he's spoken with, with Hoppe, and he told me the same thing in conversation, that Murray Rothbard told him that closed borders were the only position for a true libertarian. Now, if we take the position that there are instances in which people should not be allowed to cross a border, and we also consider the fact that um, that's the truth and that we support borders, then there must also probably be some instances in which goods should not cross your border. And I maintain that the, I maintain that that's when they're coming from communist countries with state-owned industries and state-owned co- corporations. But when the goods themselves are an attack on your industry, then yes, it right. seems reasonable that you would restrict them. I think so too. And see, that that's where we begin to differ with a lot of libertarians. Surprisingly, a lot of libertarians on the right as well, wouldn't you say, David? We may have lost him. Did we lose you, David? Uh, well, if we lose him, maybe you'll be back here in a minute. Uh, so, so what happens is with that with that kind of position, a lot of people have a tendency to not see us as purely libertarian. They see us more as being closer to the alt right, uh, because a lot of the alt right are and and I don't want to pick on the alt right because socially and conserv- socially and culturally, in a lot of ways, they have a libertarians have a lot to learn. As as Hoppe said, Hans Hermann Hoppe, have a lot to learn from the alt right. But I do believe that um, the alt right has something to learn from libertarians in, in many ways, um, economically. Yes, but I they're... don't believe that they're wrong on tariffs, uh, necessarily a hundred percent. Anyway, go ahead, David. Um, this will bring Would you say to... there's some libertarians that that have a that that even on the right that kind of have an issue with our our position on tariffs libertarians that have an issue with us on tariffs yeah oh yeah yeah Um, they they think that um, you're putting a tariff on on a certain commodity from a communist country is um, it's not being um, it's not practicing market practices or market principles but it's pretty much a, uh, a non sequitur, I guess you would call it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I personally, I mean, I think that um, if if we want to stop certain elements from coming into the country, to our nation, to to society, to doing damage in our economy, it can't just be people. Sometimes it, it must be certain goods uh, coming from certain entities who who are using those goods as a weapon against us. Um, and, I, and they I can do as much damage argue, in one way as other. I would only ahead, argue Elliot. that goods priced well below market value with the intention of harming another entity's production capabilities violates the NAF. I, 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 th- I think we we may have actually in some ways – I mean it, 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 I, I, can, I can see where you're going with that. I mean, I, I can definitely see, see where you might come to that conclusion. 
I, I, I need to explore that thought further, but if it violates the norms, right. then obviously tariffs are called for. Well, it, it, okay, so when you say NAP, you, what you really mean is the NAP, and you mean the yeah, non-aggression principle. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so let me just a real quick explanation for those out there listening that are not familiar with the non-aggression principle. Essentially, the non-aggression principle um, uh, bars physical aggression against anybody else who has not committed aggression against you or your, your person. Your person. So if somebody were to, for instance, just move onto your property and build, try to build a house there, that's an aggression. And it's okay for you to fight back. Libertarians are not pacifists. At least most libertarians are not. So, uh, but yeah, I could I could see where you could, you might you might be able to find a connection there. Um, uh, my my primary issue is just I, I think that that if you're gonna ha- if if you can restrict people from coming across, then there's no reason why at some point you shouldn't look at goods coming from those same people who have an ulterior motive and restrict those goods as well. Um. So, so there's some things there that we kind of laid out there, both economically and socially and culturally. And I can see maybe how some people might say we were all right. Uh, we we share a lot of views in common. What about what do you think, David? We're not. Uh, we we share the cultural idea that um, um, the family unit is a collective. We're not radical individualist. Um, we uh, think that uh, um, culture matters, and particularly Western culture, and uh, whites are being victimized by the state by uh, allowing open borders and importing um, refugees uh, from across the world, from third world nations, to out outbreed um, the natives uh, and putting them on our um, taxes at, at gunpoint. Right. So, so yeah. If, they, if they're sticking them on welfare, then then they're given tax dollars from the the existing native population. And uh, I think when people would say, "Well, that's that's bullshit. Fuck that," they'll get really mad and say some something like that. But and the truth of the matter is, they they sure will. The, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, the the biggest study done on the topic of, of immigrants, both legal, illegal, and and native born people. Uh, was done by a, an immigration group, a, a think tank. And in that study, it was a 20-year study. Uh, and in that study, what they established was is that, in fact, immigrants do use more welfare than native-born people. They actually use – legal immigrants actually use more welfare in general per capita than illegal immigrants because it's harder, for, a little bit harder for illegals to get it. But uh, and the reason why is because of the way we take in refugees and stuff. We're not bringing in skilled laborers. We're bringing in people who, in a lot of cases, who do not have even a high school level of education, and so they can never earn enough money to meet our poverty standards. And what they found is, is not only do they have an increased use of of welfare, but that it, use of welfare lasts two to three generations. So this is you know the 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 problem is is that two to three generations of it. And then eventually it seems that it fades off at that point. So they keep telling us that 
illegal immigration is a win-win. And it's not because, you know, immigration makes us rich. It's great for our country. Well, how come the countries they're running from, why aren't they doing more to keep them? I guess that would be my question. Uh, it seems a little harsh, but it's, I think it's a fair question. But, you know, so again, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're bringing in a lot of people from, from, from foreign countries uh, that do not share our culture, do not share our belief system, do not share our values sometimes. Sometimes they do. Um, many of them are great people. Many of them are not. It's just the facts. But, uh, Elliot, um, I mean... You've been on the show now. This is how many times? Is this three or four? I believe four, but I'm not for certain. Okay. Okay, so four times. Now, I know that you identify definitely as an anarcho-capitalist. We've talked about this. Um, and I know I mean, there are... Go ahead. There, there's some nuance there. I don't agree with everything. Um, I... I I kind of believe that communist countries, um, you basically just, it's almost impossible to deal with them at all. They're just an act of aggression just by existing. Um, but <laughs> I, that's just how I personally yeah. feel about them. Um, so also communists proper are pretty much an act of aggression against your property just by existing. And they're trying to spread aggression against your property to form a mob to take your things. So I, I have a funny view about communists that's not very pacifistic. But for the most part, um, I'm definitely a pacifist. Okay. Okay, so, so um, we can't extend... I guess. Go ahead, go ahead, David. That's yeah, I know we, what point yeah, you're getting ready to make. Yeah, we can't extend the nap to people who do not believe in it. That's right. At least people hearty. who can't be reasoned with. Well, you can't extend you can't extend an a a principle because that's what it is. I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule or law, but you can't extend these types of principles to people that are essentially trying to kill you, dominate you, run you over, take your stuff. You can't do that. You can't say, I'm not, if, if I know for a fact that you're coming over here to kill me before you get here, then I shouldn't be standing there with my hands in my pocket saying, oh, yeah, you know, but I can't do anything until you actually try. Uh, just if, like if I the, know that, the that you don't believe about in Islam, me. you cannot sleep next to a rabid dog. <laughs> well, I know, I, I know that that if I know that if you don't believe in the non-aggression principle and you've made it clear and you've got a weapon and you're coming over here, then I know I should be ready for you and probably should go ahead and take you out as soon as you break into my house or whatever instead of trying to extend the non-aggression principle to you. Yeah, that, so. and it's also where where I uh, where I uh, share agreement with the alt right, particularly on. Culture with like something like um, Islam, um, like Walberts, uh, they tend to say, "Oh, Islam is not a threat." Um, there are individuals in Islam that are peaceful. I'm like, okay, that doesn't make them uh, majority peaceful. The same could right. be said in Nazi Germany. Right, right. Well, the, the the problem I think here is that we have to look at. 
um, if, it, for instance, for instance, the U.S. The United States was formed, uh, we occurred, broke off from Britain for through a revolution, right? Two to three million people, really supporters, not even not even soldiers. Two to three million supporters were all they needed, uh, which is very well. Not two to three, two to three percent. I'm sorry, I said two to three million. Two to three percent of the American population was all they needed to support that in order for it to occur. So you have nations that are being, uh, for instance, uh, in, in Islamic countries, areas and nations that are being stuck under Sharia law. And in a lot of cases, for instance, like with the Taliban, they're not even anywhere near the majority. They're not even, in a lot of cases, a significant amount of the population. They're just highly organized and very aggressive. So, uh, what so is guess, um, Hans? Go ahead. Hans Hans Hopp says um, in your covenant community under um, under an anarcho-capitalist model that Mm -hmm. uh, each community can restrict whomever they want to Um, whether you're German, Jewish um, um, Arab um, Japanese um, Zulu, you can be restricted it um, you're allowed to discriminate on whoever you want. Well, when you say covenant communities, you're talking about in a world in which you're talking about sort of an anarcho-capitalist world in which people form their own societies inside yes. of this this agreement amongst people that they'll adhere to the non-aggression principle. And then, as we do now in this world, without government interference, we typically have a tendency to go make our neighborhoods and stuff around people who share uh, yes. values and. And beliefs and likeness with us. Uh, yes. Government. Uh, one of the things that you find now is that the government is involving themselves and trying to force us to live amongst. You know, they're trying to force us to all integrate with each other. They won't let us do what we want. Yes, and so and that's what, you're you're talking about a situation where that's not occurring. It's all voluntary. Everybody can live where they want. And but it will still uh, occur under um, racial, probably. Ethnic lines and cultural lines, um, which you can invite, now, honestly. Yes. Right. Well, and and I would argue that if it basically, if things play out that way, it's because that's what all the people wanted to do. It's all voluntary. No one is forcing right. these people to live in these communities in the way they are. If they make these choices. It's because they wanted to. If there's integrated communities, I'm certain that people could also choose to interact in those. There's no one, and they probably there would be will no be. government enforcement whatsoever. So, uh, whether or not whatever it came to end up looking like is fair, and I would imagine you would still have an overreaching corporate culture that would marry all of these cultures together, and that would be the culture of commerce. And everyone would integrate into that culture if they wanted to succeed financially. Well, you do business with each other without killing each other, and right. and, and I think I think what, what the big thing, David, you were saying. What, what were you just saying before we? I think you, you were getting ready to make a point. Well, we, with the alt right, what about half of them believe? Um, they believe in national socialism, which is you think, all, you which think is it's all, that many. Seriously, do you think it's that half of the alt right believes in national socialism? At least forty to fifty percent. Not all of them. 
I think a lot where, of them are. Where, where, huh. where are you interacting with this alt-right that believes in national socialism? Um, Richard Spencer, who's the figurehead of the um, def- kind of a de facto leader, he supports national socialism, and a lot of lot of them follow him. And there's a because when I consider the alt right, I consider more of the poll trolls and the Donald and places like that as being more of the alt right than whoever well, that is. I've never heard of him. Well, I would agree with you to a certain extent. What happened was that the alt right was a much bigger community about a year a year ago, and they began to split. And there was somewhat of a rift, and so you got this one group that's now called the alt-light and one group that's called the alt-right. And so I think that's where David is talking about um, that half of them are national socialists. Now, I, I actually would say it's not half. I would, I mean, my personal opinion is is that about uh, – about, this is David and I – I'm going to be honest. I think it's more like 5 or 10%. However, um, I think that yeah, I think the rest would. We have to be careful because there are a lot of people who are what we what are known as race realists that are not national socialists. Um, yes, uh, some of them on the alt light don't. The alt light doesn't talk about um, race. Um, they talk about culture. Um, mm-hmm. The the alt right considers it all all check marks all everything. Um, the yeah the alt the alt light someone like Milo Yiannopoulos or like um, Stefan Molyneux, Gavin um, McGinnis. Yeah, I, I would the, say that I'm much more strongly identify them with the alt light. Um, I'm yeah. not big on the whole. The, all of that is way too nap violating. Once you get too far into the right <laughs> alt right. Yeah. Like that stuff isn't going to fly with me. I don't go in for communism in any form and read no. any sort of. It, it, once you start violating people's rights for any reason and and inherent rights, I, I don't believe that that people should be aggressed at. And and once you right. start violating that, I'm out. I'm not. I'm not going to take any part of that. Well, I'm. I'm not. I mean, well, one critique. I, I don't have the. Go ahead, David. One critique I have, if a lot of them, a lot of the National Socialists, a few of them, um, probably half of that 10% were former uh, were former um, anarcho-capitalists and libertarians. I know a few of them that were, that are, that are National Socialists and former Hoppy and libertarians. Um, the other half were what? The other half were what? Former part, communists and lefties? Probably, um, but yeah, a lot of them are former Hoppians, um, and they know uh, what they've read. Hop is um, magnum opus, democracy, the gods that failed. It's it's right. funny when they don't realize that after you had a a national socialist dictator that all of a sudden that they're having this open border democracy right after that um, that the powers didn't get they can't see why the powers got corrupted or 
after Hitler's death that 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 ensued right after. It's, mm. but that's what um, if you have any form of socialism, it's gonna um, it's gonna build its way to um, democracy. Degeneracy. Yeah. Well, it, it, my model um, is that I think that basically social systems. Um, are a form of emergence of, and you can kind of find representations of them in nature of some form or another um, in in more like either physical systems or behaviors in other animals, etc. And the best way I can figure that is is the best rough working model for a government in in my mind is an immune system. Um, they're a good thing when limited, too weak, and you die from invading forces, too strong, and your own immune system kills you. It's always a balancing act to try to have an immune system that is both functional, making the correct choices on what is good and what is bad for the host, and also not so out of control that it kills its its own host. Well, I, I think it goes back to the... Again, the evolutionary psychological perspective, which is that individuals evolve and groups evolve. Now, culture and and much of that uh, that, that we see um, is created often, for instance, artwork, music, and so on, because of the conflict that goes on between the group and the individual. That's why so many you know so many of these artists are. Like they're they're against society. They're constantly painting all these crazy things. They're trying to shock, you know, create shock value in the group. Um, and so, and and one of the things that has been a constant theme, and this is one of the things that probably helps us to get painted as all right, is that we we constantly talk about the fact that individualism, as it exists today, did not exist a hundred years ago. People didn't think like that. Um, we call it hyper-individualism, David and I do. And, and essentially, when, when I think about individuals, I don't think – when I talk about individualism, I don't think about everyday people, you know, super-individual everyday people. I have a tendency to think in terms of these great individuals like Socrates or heroes like Siegfried and uh, Hercules who, or, you know, or Samson. They take on these – it's them against the group. You know, even Jesus Christ, same kind of thing. It's just one guy taking on the Roman Empire, uh, and Caesar, and so that's how I think in terms of. Um, and so I think that a lot of the cult and that that conflict there between individuals. Look at the impact Socrates has had on Western culture. It, it's almost at the very center of it. And even Jesus Christ, same thing. They've had this massive impact, but these were individuals. So, so culture is created by conflict between individuals and groups. It's genetic to a certain extent because individuals are involved. So um, I, I don't necessarily think that it is either race or culture. I think it is a combination of both, and I think that some, some races have different cultures for reasons, uh, yeah, different I, reasons. I, I agree with the alt-right that uh, races do, in fact, exist and that they're real and that um, um, not wanting um, other races in your um, community if um, if a lot of – if you opt for 
anarcho-capitalism, then you that's it, your prerogative. That's your preference. I, I don't I don't see anything I mean I, I don't see anything wrong with that in a sense. I mean I ha I, I don't I think that if that's how a person chooses to live, then people should let them live that way. I don't believe that anybody should try to force them to do anything different than what they want to do. Um and and I think that that the minute I accepted evolution as an actual thing, I had to accept the fact that there are differences. I mean, we don't run around looking at dachshunds and German shepherds and telling everybody that they're the exact same and they're equal in every way. We just don't do it. But yet they're both of the same species. So so we have to accept the fact that there are differences between us. That's just the way it is. And 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 not just on, on a on a racial level, which is a group level, but on an individual level, there's never going to be equality. And I think that view gets us into why we're all why they call us all right, you know, um, because I and I think that's a wholly realistic view. In in the end, I'd say we probably are, if they're starting to include. Um, those other ideas include like dark enlightenment. What not? If they start to call that all right, then, then, I guess I guess I'm probably one. But I'm not. I'm yeah. not a national socialist. That's that's ridiculous. It's uh, I. <laughs> um, I don't agree with um, like in that debate last night with Jeff Tucker and Chase Rachels. Um, he kept on call. He kept on calling um, J- Jeff Cucker. He kept on calling um, Chase a right Hegelian. He's Chase is not a Hegelian. I'm not a. I am not a Hegelian. Um, the right Hegelians are probably more of your national socialists. Probably, a lot of them are. Um. Which is which is kind of ironic, considering that um, Marxism and communism is, for the most part, nowadays is Hegelian. So it, it's it's really, I mean, they share a lot of things in common. Um, but yeah, I I would not agree with that. And of course, for those of you who don't know, uh, Jeff Tuck, Jeff Tucker, <laughs> Tucker uh, had a debate with Christopher Chase Rachels. Yesterday, and that's out there on YouTube, I believe, and available for anybody that wants to hear it. Um, so, I guess, I guess, if we're thinking about all this, we have a few more questions in this episode to talk about because it, it just seems to me that it's. Why don't we go? It's worth the, addressing. Go ahead. Why don't we go into the Jew stuff? <laughs> okay, so hey, so I got a joke for you, real quick. Before we uh, we move into that, Um, what did the communists use before candles? (laughs) What? Electricity. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, you know that. So, so is this a joke about historical revisionism? Uh, so, <laughs> um, so 
Okay, so I I got to be honest. I'm I'm going to come clean. I, I'm pretty red pilled, and and I and I get it that there's a lot of guys out there that that take certain positions on Jewish people. However, uh, I'm going to be blunt. I, I don't agree. I don't believe there's some kind of vast Jewish conspiracy to take over the world, to run the banks, to destroy white people, to destroy this people or that people. I just don't. Um, and, and I'll tell you. I, I I liken the whole Jewish conspiracy thing to the the claims by other races of white privilege and you know white supremacy. I consider it all to essentially be a load of fucking bullshit, and, and I'm really tired of hearing about it. It's nothing. This this stuff is conspiratorial. Um, there's no real hard evidence. There's no way to disprove it. There's no way to. Prove I have it. one question for you. Once once you're done. Uh, sure. Uh, what, one of the things I want to point out is, yes, there are a disproportionate amount of people who are Jewish who are in the film industry. Yes, there are a disproportionate amount, and I say disproportionate, and I don't know if that's the correct term, and I'll tell you why. But there's a disproportionate amount of Jewish people that serve and serve in high positions in government and, and have successful businesses and, and are wealthy. But they also have a disproportionate amount of Jewish people who have high IQs. And I would think that those things would coincide. Now, as far as the film industry goes, you have to understand that one of the things that that, uh, people of Ashkenazi descent share is a very, very good grasp of language. Language comprehension, reading, and the ability to write. And of course, that's what makes Hollywood Hollywood. They create, they write, they make stories. So I, I just don't see a conspiracy there. Now, a lot of people probably call me out on that. Uh, I'm not looking for a fight with these guys about it. I'm just telling you that's where I'm at. Do I think that there are some bad things about Jewish culture? Sure I do. I think the cosmopolitan nature of it, uh, which comes probably from being a diaspora for many, many years, like thousand years or more, uh, probably uh, has a lot of bad uh, traits, one of them being what Nietzsche called slave morality which has been married to Christian culture in which we say the meek shall inherit the earth. So that, that I have a serious problem with slave morality. And as a Christian, I have a problem with Christians who display slave morality. But uh, um, go ahead. Uh, uh, what's your question, Elliot? Elliot, are you with us still or did I lose you? Are you, are you yeah, snoring uh, back I, there? I have the question. I'm here. Sure, go ahead. So, aside from nation states, a handful of businesses, and perhaps Islam, have there been a great deal of religions that also have their own very successful and dangerous intelligence agencies long before they had a nation state? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I think there's and what plenty was of, that I think our history is full of doing before Israel. Well, I think that, but see, I think that that there have been clandestine organizations throughout history that were not necessarily tied to nations. Look at the look at the Vatican, look at the the Catholic Church. I'm sure they had their own information gathering services. You know, look at the look at the Knights Templar. Uh, yeah, look at right. the merchant and Which one of those intelligence agencies ended up with their own nation state of such size and power as Israel? 
Uh, I don't know. The Vatican's pretty damn powerful, and they didn't become a state. Oh no, or just directly. I, be- I would just, just say just that directly before the Israel did. I would just say that while I don't necessarily think that there's a vast Jewish conspiracy, I would also argue that it's not a small one either. <laughs> That's probably where I'm at. Uh, okay, so so I can I mean I can I can say that I do believe that there are people who are Jewish uh, that are um, out there working uh, in what you would call the interests of their people. But so are we. And, and everyone has we're that supposed right. to be. We're su- we're supposed to be anyway. I think I think that's one of the reasons why punching left and many of the so called alt right groups exist is because there's a whole lot less of our of our society working in the interests of its people anymore and for some reason we seem to want to lay down and work in the interests of other people at our own expense. And and, and what I would say is that while the Jewish people have the right to work in their interests, absolutely. I mean, there's no question. The only thing that I question is why is that that that's a group that has enough, that can exert enough power and control that you can't criticize them? Because there's a well, that's what money buys. To find out who rules over you, discover who you can't criticize. Sure. Yes. I, I agree. I mean, I agree. I think that makes perfect sense, but they're just rich. I mean, there's lots of rich groups we can't criticize. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, yeah when, when you know, when when you criticize the Jews, it's oh no, the Holocaust, which is and not a particularly oh, no. noteworthy genocide, as genocides go. Well, but but we're all playing that game, you know. Oh no, you criticize African American community. Oh no, white privilege, Slavery. racism, Slavery. Jim Crow. You criticize American sure. Indians. And oh no, I'm, we're on the reservation. Look what you did to us. Well, you criticized and, Hispanics. And specifically you stole Americans. I don't. Well, you stole you stole Mexico and California from us. You criticize. I mean, every group has got some reason as to why. You know, every group's got that. That's all I'm saying. And I don't I, disagree, and I, I don't think they're the big bad, so to speak. But I certainly think they're a very powerful and influential. And even dangerous group. I'll agree to that 100%. But, you know, to me, I mean, we, we, we're wary of the Russians. We're wary of the Chinese. There's nothing wrong with being wary of, of Israel. Um, would you say – I've heard this from the um, – particularly from the National Socialist on the alt-right. Would you say, mm-hmm. Clifton, that um, uh, people like Rothbard – and people like Karl Marx like to rip everything down, tear everything down. Is that the? Uh, would you say that's that's Jewish, or is that too too vague? Well, okay. So <clears throat> I think that that um, there they have been they have the command of very, many many very prominent Jewish philosophers and. They're often very critical of society, but you have to understand that they're often on the outside looking in in whatever culture they, whatever nation they're in. And it's always, you know, they always say it's always easier to to stand on the outside and look at the inside and tell everybody what's wrong because you're not a part of what's going on in many cases. 
So, yeah, I, I, I do agree that they are able to tear things down and, and break them apart in such a way as to, to dissect it thoroughly. However, um, I think it's what you do with it, not, not it itself, that's the problem. I think that the underlying problem that I have with the Jewish community is that since they don't buy into the nationalism thing by and large, they have no skin in the game, so to speak. And I, I that, that. that is concerning to me. I don't believe that they are enemies, but I believe that they should partake in their society and have skin in the game like everyone else. Well, you do realize, though, that there are many secular Jews, many non-practicing Jews who identify as U.S. citizens, Americans. And, and Absolutely, and patriots. I would, I would but, strongly argue that having a nation state for the Jewish people is a delightful change, that it's <laughs> not a bad thing. It's, it's a great right. thing. Um, and I have right. nothing against the Jewish people. I think that everyone deserves to follow their own best interests. However, if you don't have skin in my nation, then now you have a nation state. Please go to it. Sure. No, I, I don't disagree. I think, I think if that's where we're at. I mean, I, I, as, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not a guy that buys into conspiracy theories. I don't, I don't buy into the, the white privilege thing, the racism thing, as, as this overarching attempt by European nations to suppress the rest of the world. I'm not going to buy into it's you know the Rothschilds made us do it, and I'm not going to buy I'm not going to buy into any of it. I don't buy into flat Earth bullshit. I don't buy into chemtrails. You know they can keep all of it. And and believe me, I, I worked as a contractor for the USDA for a little while. And let me tell you something: as far as it, them getting together to do a conspiracy, most of them are not smart enough. So I, I really don't think that you can expect any serious, uh, massive cover-up conspiracies from the U.S. government that are effective. If there are any cover-ups or conspiracies, it's compartmentalized. Absolutely, and I, I believe that if there are conspiracies, it's a very small group of people that would be behind them. Like I do believe right. that in this most recent instance with the FBI's, what I believe, uh, oh, oh, just treachery, pure treachery, is that – Mm-hmm. It was a very small group of people within the FBI, literally a handful. Right, right. So it, it goes back to those, the, you know, Jewish people. There, there could be a couple groups out there that are, you know, conspiring to to, to create great harm and do wreak havoc. But I, I just don't, I just don't see, you know, I don't know how many millions of, of Jewish people are out there in the world, but I just don't see all, every one of them being a part of it. Well, the is, core of it is, is, is that in every single group, there's always malevolent entities. There's no getting out of sure. that, and there's no specific group that owns the malevolence. It's everywhere. It's right. human nature. Right. So, so I guess my point is, and I think that's what you're going to, and David, I think, oh, this answered your question. It's not anything special, whatever it may be. It's nothing any more special or spectacular than what anybody else has been doing. The only thing that might make it special or spectacular is that they might as a group, since they are tend to be a more capable group of people, they may be more mm-hmm. capable of great harm if there are talented, benevolent individuals. Possibly, I don't know. I mean, that's you know, it's one of those things. But so, so we've been on here an hour and 
in 15 minutes. I think that David and I, and, and even you, and Elliot, I've, I've appreciated, um, you know, you've elaborated some views on here. And I think it's good to put this out here so that people can hear where we're at. They understand where we're at. Are we all right? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to run from it. I wasn't looking for it, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not an insult to me. And I know a lot of guys that I like that are all right. You know, I know a lot of guys that aren't all right that I like. It's just one of those things. But these, these are, these are my views. David has his views too that have been out here on this show and, and you're putting yours out there for us tonight. So I guess, I guess, you know, what is, what for me, you know, what, it, what does it mean to be, to be all right? I mean, is that, does that mean David, do you think we're white supremacists now just because a bunch of people say we are, if we're all right? No, Jared Taylor He's not a white supremacist. He's gone on record to say he's not a white supremacist, and he identifies as alt-right. It's something that's placed upon by the media that's run, um, that has, I'll say, a significant number of um, socialist Jews in it, um, in, uh, in influence. Well, and, um, and non-Jewish socialists, I might add, too. Uh, yeah, white, white liberals, yeah, they're, they're dumb. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, sorry, but they it, if you um, say that you have a preference for your group and you're black, that's okay. If you say you have a preference for your group and you're Jewish, if you say you have a preference for your group and you're white. You're defending the KKK. You're a neo-Nazi. You're a white supremacist. Right. Which you're talking about, and this is something Jared Taylor says. Now, he says, I advocate on behalf of, of white people, but it doesn't mean that he supports the, the Ku Klux Klan in the process. He doesn't support those guys. He's not He's not a, a swastika-waving guy, and he, and he doesn't want anything bad to happen to people that aren't white. I've made this a, a post before um, on Facebook. I said, um, as long as they're not harming anyone, I think the Ku Klux Klan should have their own covenant community under if they choose to do so under an anarcho-capitalist <laughs> model. Uh, you're just pushing it, aren't you? <laughs> you're trying to get it. We, we, might, we might get – with having that, having that alt-right on our label, on our title – it could affect us. <laughs> Boom! You just hit troll level fucking one twenty. Um, so, so I guess I guess for me then I don't think so. I don't think it has anything to do with it. It's never been about that for me. It's just been about facts and truth and talking about things that are real. What about you, Elliot? What do you think? Um, I'm going to step away for a moment. Okay, not a problem. Um, um one one big um question um this um I've heard before alternative hypothesis um and uh, others uh do um uh, why do you think in the past um I I don't have any much research on it but um what do you think why the um Jews were um, removed, displaced from 
places throughout the world, particularly Europe too. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, a lot of people could view a lot of things. I mean, if you're always an outsider, you're going to be run off. You, the people are going to try to run you off. I know that the gypsies suffer very similar problems. Now, they happen to be no well, you know, they're the, the view of them is that they're pickpockets and thieves primarily, and not trustworthy. Um, I don't and know under, about Jews. I can't speak on this because I don't. I don't know enough about it. I, could I heard that possibly speak on this a tiny bit. Oh, I, so you you didn't you said was step away from it. I was like, oh, he don't want to talk about this, but no, I was wrong. Very nice. Yeah, I just had to step away for a small moment. Um, so no what I would speak to on this specific issue is that historically, from my understanding, Jews were able to charge interest for loans, which both Christianity and Islam yeah. at the time period would not allow individuals to charge interest to one another. Usury. 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 Right. And so what happened, from my understanding, was that a lot of times, People would not be very good at finance, and there were no regulations on financial rules and regulations. There were, there were no rules around finance, so they would be offered incredibly predatory and or unsavory loans and business dealings. And eventually they, and I say this to the Jewish people, would be able to exert so much control through finance that – Physical violence was the only recourse left to these people as they were basically zip-tied and thrown into you know, the basement of their own nation because of the rules that they had agreed to, perhaps unwisely. Okay. So, I mean, that I can see – certain situations where you might see that, especially if if you have a group of people who come in and they've exerted an awful lot of control over the financial system. I could see where people would, would have a tendency Almost to become... exclusive control. And, and then on top of right. that, eventually it gets to the point where they own all of the wealth, and throughout history they had a tendency to push things too far, to not be merciful to the groups that they had conquered economically and to bring utter ruin to those people to the point where they felt that the only option was to drive out or kill the Jews because they couldn't play nicely. Right. So I guess and in some instances though, but to be fair to the Jews, um, I, I, I just, I wanted to slip this in so it didn't sound like I was all Jews or bad. In some instances, people were just like, well, we promised that we'd pay them back at 5% interest, but we also have this army in to just kill them. There was some of that right. too, make no mistake. Yeah, I think there was there was some of that, definitely. Um, so, so I guess is, – go ahead, David. You have some more you what, want. Is it, is it the whole conspiracy is that um, – um, yeah, I, I don't know if – too much if it's a conspiracy or not I'm kind of in the middle is but is it the main conspiracy is that um, Jews are trying to clear out um, Palestine and the Middle East to uh, gain a foothold and drain put it on 
European countries, particularly Europe and America, so that they could become so, and they'd be helped out by America, so they'll become the um, um, a superpower, like a super ethno state. I, I, I don't know. It's written in their official documents. Yeah, I've I, I've heard something about that. But yeah, but read okay, through their so, official so documents. So They're not the shy question, about it. But, but the question we have to ask is, um, you know, is that a bad thing? How bad is it? Look at the United. Look at the United States. We cleared out North America, a huge, massive chunk of it. We wanted to be powerful. I don't think it's out of the ordinary for any particular nation to seek, you know, to seek uh, wealth and power. Um, it, it, the main issue is is that they're not us, right? And well, that's and that, what we have to that's look at. conflicting interests. So of course they're yeah. going to want to do what's in their best interest, and it's our job to defend ourselves. And not apologize to do what's for in it. our best interest, and if that there's right. a conflict, so I, it involves a lot of like in the refugee situation, for instance, saying no. All right, yeah, I understand that you want me to do this, and that you think it will lead to good things for you, but I don't think it'll lead to good things for me, so I'm not going to do it. That's the end of the conversation. Right. You can cry about it all you want, but this is what I'm going to do. Well, there are a lot of things that that uh, you will fi- you will hear from people who are from the Jewish culture that you're not going to want to hear about, for instance, taking in refugees and so on. But you're going to hear it from the Catholic Church too. You know, the Catholic Church is going to tell you to to take in all the refugees you can. They just do. The Catholic they, Church they is allowing. Remember, is allowing Islamic prayers, I think, in the Vatican proper. So I, I don't think I can take them seriously anymore. They've jumped the shark. Well, well I know, but I, I think my point is, though, my point is, is that there are a lot of things that you're going to hear that it's just part of the way that they think. It's built into their culture. It's not conspiratorial. I, a lot of it is just that's what they've been taught their whole life. That's what they all say to each other. That's what they believe. You know, for better or for worse. Um, I have a like a a personal um, story. My um, yeah, my um, grandfather, um, my great grandmother was um, was a Jew. She married a uh, into a Italian. Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did you know that according to traditional Judaism, you are also a Jew? Yes. Well, yeah, it has to be passed from mother to mother. If you break that line, he's not. Well, so, if you have women, so if a female in his family tree that was that that was yeah, mother to mother all the way down. If that grandmother right. was so, on his so, mother's side, right. So if his grandmother gave birth to his grandfather, and then his grandfather produced his mother, he's not. Yeah, I follow. That I, I agree. That that's what I'm saying. Though, if you're if it's a female all the way down, then that's right. Go ahead, David. Uh, um. Well, and. She um 
she took um, my my grandfather and his um, brother, my great uncle, to um, see their, which would be my great um, great grandfather, and he said that, um, oh, so they're re- uh, really children. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it was, and yeah, my and my grandma was like, "What are you expecting, dogs?" <laughs> so, See well, that that's, that is a, that is kind of a part of their culture. Is that if you're part something else, then you might be a you might be a reprobate. <laughs> right, right. So, so now, but but I, it, I guess it does. I guess. That's, that's I guess if your grandfather okay. was a Jew, I guess if your if your grandfather was was uh, practicing Jew, and then so on, then it might it might pass down. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, David. I get what you're saying. So since his in the interest, go ahead, go ahead, real quick. So yeah, since his since his mother was Jewish, he he was a Jew. But okay, and and all my DNA tests, it said fifteen percent. Well, so so yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. So so I guess we, we're coming down, probably getting ready to close this thing off. I, I I just a few more questions to ask before we to get through this to to get to the end of it. Um, David, and, and this is this portion, this little portion is probably more directed at you and I. David, when we started this, I know we had talked about it for a long time. How long do you think we talked about starting this podcast? <sighs> Less than a year, but uh, not under six months. <laughs> okay, so so probably probably somewhere around there, seven eight months or so, nine months. And we talked about it a lot. So so when we talked about it, what what were your goals coming into this? What what were you hoping to accomplish by doing this show? To learn and the possible to learn first and foremost, and then hopefully maybe to teach uh, what I know to people. Okay. And a lot of that is, I mean, you're, we've talked about some of your lineage, but uh, you're Catholic, right? Yes. I'm, I'm a convert. Okay. You're a devout Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tried to do better. <laughs> right. I, I I happen to also be Catholic, just so everybody knows. Um, however, I, I'm also a convert. I'm not as devout as David. Um, I haven't went for the last several years, and so I need to probably do some confession. Um, but anyway, uh, I think I think the point here is is that the goals that that you had are very similar to mine to teach people what uh, uh, to talk to people to put the stuff out there. Nobody else talks about it a lot of the time. To do it in a way that. Um, was fair because I don't want to be fair to people, unfair to people. And, you know, when we talk about some of these sensitive topics like Jews and, you know, people's belief that they're trying to dominate the world or different uh, discussions about, you know, how black people see white people as having white privilege and things like that. I wanted to address those issues in what I think is a common sense way that addresses the facts first in order to help us come to better conclusions about them. Because a lot of things that we're being taught by the, by the, the news media, 
being put out in colleges, universities, and by the government are just absolutely false in many, many ways. And we're being, and this stuff is being spit out and, and given to us over television and newspapers and movie screens. And there's no factual, in most cases, this stuff has no basis in reality, has no basis in science. And so it's a real problem. You know, so I wanted to get out here and talk about this because I think that people need to understand how much sophistry, and I think that's a good word for it, sophistry and, and, and word games are being played with them in popular culture and by popular media and by the system as a whole. They, they are literally – because people don't have time to explore this stuff further. They just don't. They're working two jobs. They're in school. They've got families to take care of. They they turn on the television. They hear something. They don't have time to necessarily explore it all the time to see if it's actually right or not. It's one of the reasons why a lot of older people in later years change their views on so many things because once their kids grow up, once they all of a sudden they don't have to work so much anymore or they retire, now they have time to go check all these things that are being told, and it's and it's eye opening for a lot of them. But by then they're you know they're old folks. So I, I wanted to put this stuff out there now, um, while people are, uh, while people can actually use it and apply it. And of course, I'm in graduate school, and I study a lot of this stuff. And just the things that I read from philosophers and and a lot of great thinkers, uh, it just doesn't jive up with the things that they tell us now. There's some very basic basic truths out there that do not, they just do not coalesce with what we're being told by the news media. A lot of, lot of logical fallacies, a lot of anti-intellectualism going on, and just a pure out-and-out sophistry and deception. Would you say that um, um, certain sections or of the alt-right, particularly National Socialists, take an um, anti-intellectual stance? Yeah, of course they do. Um, communists do too. When when any time that a group that that bases um, their their ideas on romantic romanticism of sorts, uh, they the first group they want to go after are intellectuals because intellectuals poke holes in those romantic ideas. The problem with National Socialism, as I see it, and I and this comes from me as a, as someone who doesn't really agree with democracy. And really leans hev- heavily on her- an, an inheritable power, her- you know, uh, inherited power. I, I have a, an affinity for kings and, and aristocrats and monarchs and, and so on, uh, and for good reason. But uh, national socialists have all the progressive ideologies that that many of our so- Bernie Sanders and so on have today. The, the, the we'll just say national socialism 1.0 which was the pre-interwar groups like uh, Mussolini and, and Hitler. But they wanted the live-action role-play on the idea of imperial power. So they, they used that as a rallying point to, you know, to, to rule the nation, the state. Um, and so intellectuals poke holes in that. And I have to say it, Jews have a tendency to be intellectuals in the country. Yep, yep, and... You know, so, so you're going to go after them. You're going to go after your intellectuals. They're the first ones that go to the camps, usually, whether they're Jews or not, just intellectuals in general. Another um, stat I did find out, particularly in America, 
um, is that 50% of college professors are Jews, and um, most of them um, hold um, Marxist socialist views. They do, which is very disgusting. So, and the majority of, of humanities, arts and sciences instructors are Marxist, or they ha- or they like Marx, they like socialism. So, so Elliot, um, being on the show with us these four times, I mean, what what is your what is your feel for the show so far? What is your opinion? I think that everything that we say needs to be discussed. It, 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 there are things that need to be said. And I don't know that all of them or all of my opinions are necessarily right or that all of the opinions I hear from you all are necessarily right. But I do think that there are things that people feel that they cannot discuss in society. And that's a shame. Because if you can't challenge any ideas, then how do you grow? Right. Right. No, I I agree. I I think that is a good point, and that's exactly part of what we're we're doing and and saying here. Um, Now, I have to say I don't disagree with everything that that, um, I hear some guys who are national socialists say. And and but nobody really does. But just saying that you don't agree disagree with one hundred percent of what they say automatically paints you as a target, even if the people who are targeting you don't necessarily really agree with everything they 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 say. Because uh, I'm telling you right now, I will ahead, say David. that um, I it doesn't bother me that um, that they um, what wh- whichever way they. Um, um, if they want to gain some sort of white consciousness from, particularly from the national socialism, that that's okay to me. I I that's their um, prerogative. That's their preference. It doesn't. I'm not gonna um, attack them for it. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't mind working with them, but I don't want them uh, if if they want to have if. Say I want to have a white consciousness about things. Um, I don't, and and I include them in like in my in group. Uh, I don't. I don't want them attacking me for my um, preference for libertarianism. Right, if, and then that makes sense too. I mean, you know, I I don't know. I I. I I do think that there is a certain point where we have to turn around and look at this and look at everything that we've done. This is episode 21. We have to say to ourselves, looking at, the, at where we are right now, I mean, ha- we have to ask ourselves, a little bit of introspection here, have we had any kind of success at all? Um, David, do you think we've had any kind of success here? Um, on the show? Yeah, on our show, what we what we'd hope to do, what we were trying to accomplish, are we making any headway at all, or are we just spinning our wheels? It all depends on stats. Uh, <laughs> how I many? I, we average about 
460 listens, um, new organic listens every seven days right now, just so everybody out there knows. So I think that's that's pretty good. That sounds to me like the beginning of a movement. Did the Libertarian Uh, Party have that many people listening in every few days? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just know that we're getting some listens. Of course, we're on TuneIn Radio. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes, and of course, we're on Blog Talk Radio. You know, we're we're here. We're we're saying what we're saying. That, that there'd be like twenty or thirty people listening. You know, like right. uh, the have. I mean, it's not it's not an auditorium by any means, but four hundred people is not a insignificant amount of people, and. Uh, to reach so many people, I, I, I find that, uh, you know, incredible. I, and I'm, I'm happy for you all that you've, you've reached so many years and, and have had something that so many people have found value in. Yeah, well, I, I, I think so. I mean, and, and this is spread across all of 20 episodes, so we're not getting – 460 listeners live most of these are downloads from our podcast and it's spread across you know 20 episodes so when i say organic listen you know we may have a guy that listens to three episodes this week so i don't know i mean it's hard to it's hard to extrapolate actual number of new listeners that are listening to us for the very first time ever but i will tell you this that in the last couple weeks i've seen the numbers on all the episodes we've done have went up significantly. So I'm, I'm definitely tickled about that. I'm glad that we're having an impact. Um, and, and this episode for me is not meant to, to say anything bad about the all right. As I said, I'm not ashamed. I wasn't looking for it, but we, but that's where we landed at. And I will embrace the people that are listening to us. And, and I, and I think in a lot of ways I'm proud. I, I think we are having some measure of success. We are having an impact. For us to be included on that list, David, would you like to tell yeah. everybody what the list was and, and what it what it's about? Um, yeah, we're on the um, top 50 alt-right podcast of um, 2018. We're just few places below Red Ice. And I found that. I was looking for alt-right podcasts last night, and that's what I found. Okay. And um, so also we're we're also um, uh, on the smaller list, uh, which is a top 50, but we're also on the best of 2018. Yes. Um, I was wondering, uh, we might uh, touch this subject pretty briefly before uh, before we leave. I'll head out. Of, um, sure. I. I don't know um from what i've read um i need to look at it more honestly uh but what's your take on the holocaust <laughs> that, i can't it, think of a more sensitive topic for anybody to address because it I'm does. running away screaming saying no comment <laughs> <laughs> but here, here's what i will tell you Here's what I will say. Um, I do believe that many, many people died in the Holocaust, in, in what we're calling the Holocaust. I do believe that 
there were lots of people who died in German concentration camps. I have um, no doubt of that as well. And and I also will say though that I don't know that I necessarily believe that they all died just because the Germans wanted to kill them. Yeah. In many instances, I, I I I think that there's a there is a very high possibility that many people died because Germany was experiencing medicine and food shortages and people were suffering, uh, starving to death because there was no food in Germany at the end of the war. Yeah, and I I should pretty much share that opinion with you. Um, yeah. yeah, I made yeah. I made a post about it. Looks like I do. Uh, if you were Adolf Hitler, and in your situation where you were piling, piling, piling on debt, where you had, where it's very strained, and you had a choice mm-hmm. to choose between your people and giving it to other people who weren't homogenous, who were such mm-hmm. as the Jews, what what would you choose in that situation? Would you, um, you probably couldn't split it fifty fifty. It's probably it would have been well, possible. If you, well, I mean, if you if you viewed the Jewish people who were born and raised in Germany as a separate people altogether, as foreigners, as invaders, as outsiders, and you had them all in concentration camps, and you had only X amount of food, I, I think that's where we come down to. I think in many cases those resources they chose to give them to the to the non-Jewish German population. And as a result, a lot of the Jews that were in concentration camps, the people in there were starving to death and so on. But I don't, I don't think that they were rounding them up saying when they started rounding Jews up, let's round all these people up so we can create mass graves and kill all these people. I think they were going to use them as slave labor and do all kinds of – I mean I'm not saying they were nice to them. I'm just saying that the idea was to kill – existed. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying that I don't I don't necessarily think that they rounded them all up saying we're going to we're going to mass slaughter, you know, t- 11 million people or whatever. I I don't think I that was think the that they may have. um that well, being said, I still ooh, I don't want to talk on that. Well, I'll talk a little bit more on this to- topic. Um that being said, I think that Germany viewed the Zionist population of Jews as a true threat to Germany's future sovereignty and that they believed that the Jews at that time intended to turn at least part of Germany into a Jewish nation state. I don't know whether or not that fear was warranted, but the Jews certainly ended up with a nation state after World War II. Well, the only thing I can tell you is that no matter how you you slice it, I mean, they fucking give you know, eleven million, six million fucking Jews got killed in German concentration camps. One way or another, they died there. And so, really, in the end, I mean, I just, I'm just not going to say it didn't happen. And I think that anybody that says it didn't happen, I, I mean, this is goes back to this is a, a well, it's like saying that Hitler, that that Stalin wasn't. You know, we we know for a fact we we've seen the records. We know that Stalin killed millions of Russians, and including Jews. We know he did it, we, and, and we know that, that the German socialists, the national socialists, killed millions of Jews. We know they did it. There's no reason to argue with it, and it's horrible regardless. It doesn't matter really and, and when it comes down to it what the reasons were for it. Uh, we just don't uh, – I'm not big on doing it. I mean I, I can't – there's no way to defend it, honestly. No, there's absolutely no way. The very best that could have been defended 
is sealing your borders and expelling the Jews to outside of the nation state. But it is never justified right. to slaughter. Right, right. There's no, there's no yeah. justification for for that. You know, it's never justified anywhere. You wouldn't want it done to your people. You shouldn't. You wouldn't want it done to any other people. And no, it's, if all else fails, they should have made an effort to create a Jewish nation state or some place that they could have gone. And I believe at maybe this I, point, Germany had enough empire left that they could have found somewhere for the Jewish people to go. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I'm not. I, I know there's a lot of people that are you know, they're here. They're here this section, David. Hey, David, you did it. <laughs> they hear us talk about this section. There's going to be a lot of people like, oh no, these guys, they're they're not red pilled on the Jewish question. No, no, I am, but I, I'm not buying it. The red pill. I don't know that it, it seems to me to be possibly a placebo. Um, there's so, no red pill that you can feed me that leads to death camps. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not. Going to, I, well, you know, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm. I'm not with. End, it's, it's just that's one of those topics, you know. I'm not with people like um, with alt right national socialists. Like in that debate, like what what Heimbach, he said that um, uh, people, if you trade with, um, uh, from what I heard him say, if you trade with um, China. And you're not trading here when you can get a better deal here. Uh, well, if you're getting a better better deal, um, yeah, if you get a better deal from another here, country, and and not here and not trading here, you have you should be machine gunned. Yeah, well, still no. I, still, not, we don't know. Not going to do that. But, not going to do that. Yeah, that doesn't work with an app. Uh, you can't just run around killing people or hitting them or being mean. Uh, well, maybe being a little mean, like get get off my property, please. But, right. you know, for the most part, we all want to get along, and we all want to be mutually prosperous. And we're all acting in our That's own right. self-interested way, and the goal is to get those self-interested behaviors to align as much as possible. And I believe that every group, every individual, regardless of any genetic preferences, etc., will all want to behave in self-interested ways. And if you give them pathways to, in, to interact with society in self-interested ways that are non-destructive, society will bloom and prosper and great things will happen. Just like, and I want to yeah. roll back because I wanted to answer your question about like um, white supremacy. Um, so my stance on this is, as far as I would go, is it's okay to be white. Um, and I think that I believe in American supremacy. I think right now we are the dominant power on the globe and we are a predominantly white nation. So that is the extrapolation of, um, of this as a race. And I say that in quotations, that being said, it's okay to be white, but saying it's okay to be white. Does that make you a white supremacist? Uh, According to some people it does, which is terrifying. It's, what if it's, you were to say it's okay to be to be Asian? That's fine. That's why it's so tra- terrifying because it's a double standard that means that only white people can't be okay with being white. Right. Gotcha. But you, I, I do so. believe that you know to discount the contributions that every race has made that were American citizens throughout this nation's history would be utter folly. 
and that everyone has contributed to something that has been in this nation. Well, you can we can say that, but I will say that some <laughs> that some ethnic groups have contributed more. Um, I mean, and that's that's just the, the blatant truth of the matter. Um, right, I, I, and there's and, bell curves, right? Sure, yeah, of course, right. Right. So, so I mean, we could. Uh, I'll tell you, I mean, on these topics, I mean, we can go on for hours. There are so many because because every time that something is said, uh, certain things are said, it's shocking, and you begin to feel the need. You want to you want to um, uh, elaborate on that particular point that you make because you want to explain why it's really not so shocking. Okay. The, the problem here is that we we only have <laughs> eleven minutes left, <laughs> so so we make shocking statements at this point, and all we're doing is leaving the audience in shock. Some of them, anyway, especially listeners who are not uh, who are not been exposed to any of our other episodes. So I'd I'd say we probably at this point should start to wind the conversation down and not really engage in in too much more. Um, uh, discussion on some of the topics because some of these topics need to be addressed when we have an entire show to actually break them down and talk about them. But it's, um, it's good to, to um, segmentize them under um, because this is what the um, alt right alt right talks about the Holocaust. They talk about the Jewish question and they talk about national well, socialism as the preferable standard, the ideal standard for everyone. Right. Right. Well, I don't think it is. I think that the preferable no. standard is inherited power. I think that that uh, voting is bad, and that in the only voting I want to see is very limited, very very limited suffrage. I don't believe in universal suffrage. I think it's a it's a curse, and ninety five percent of the problems that we're experiencing today are caused by universal suffrage, um, and uh, and my, that's where it goes down to. Yeah, my preferable standard is. Uh, yeah, like you said, inheritable power, hierarchy, mm-hmm. um, traditional values, and um, of course, um, the patriarchy. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's right. And, 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 and basically, um, British British common law, British common uh, law, law and, and libertarianism, a libertarian legal system, mm-hmm. and uh, laissez-faire capitalism. Right, I'm with you. Um, so I guess I guess we're, we we got kind of ran off from have we had success because we went onto this topic. Uh, I think we've had some success. I, I think you know we'll, we'll take it for whatever it is. We've had success. We if if we it doesn't matter who recognizes. We've got some recognition. Um, we're we're definitely we definitely are probably very closely related with the alt right. I consider myself meta right. Not not necessarily completely alt right, but you know we can hair split some other day. Um, so, in that announcement that we we made, that I want to tell you congratulations, David and Elliot. Thanks for coming on the episodes that you have. You know we appreciate it. You're you're part of the reason why we're doing why we're doing well. So. Uh, David, you want to leave us with any thoughts? I mean, this this episode is about introspection. It's about us, and 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 the show, and so on. So, do you have anything you want to leave us with before we wrap this up? Um, I will say that uh, 
I think um, hierarchies are essential. I think um, everyone is, has hierarchical um, ideas in their abstract thinking about preferences and prerogatives about um, that um, they of what they prefer, and if they try to place that on others, it becomes a performative contradiction. I don't and. I think that um, um, national socialism is bullshit. I don't think it's work. It will be, <laughs> I don't think it will be uh, workable for um, even if you're a high IQ white person or or a Jew, it, n- Asian, any of the hi- higher IQ people. That it, it it won't work because it doesn't have economic calculation, and it's. And just throwing white people in the mix isn't going to cut it. That's right. They, white white people aren't going to save socialism. It's just not going to happen. And and no nobody is. Nobody is. It's just not going to happen. And it, again, it's back to that no true Scotsman thing. Well, you haven't tried this socialism yet. That didn't work. Let's try this socialism over here. Got any more twists on socialism you'd like to try? So. And Elliot, you want to have any thoughts you'd like to leave us with tonight before we before we uh, wrap it up? Oh, I I I kind of agree with the national socialism is bullshit. There's no magic anywhere, and so there is no magic dirt or magic skin color or magic anything. Either you have a system that that works for underlying reasons, or you have a system that fails spectacularly for what should be all too obvious reasons. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that a, a good system uh, will call it, will give success to everybody regardless, you know, one way or another, they'll all experience some sort of success out of it um, in general as a group. And it, oh, there's always people that fall through the cracks. Um, my thoughts are uh, before we wrap up this episode, um, we'll probably go back to doing our comedy bastard of the week uh, next episode. But my thoughts are that um, while we definitely fall into this this group of it calls itself the alt right, at least on the fringes of it, uh, we also fall into libertarianism. And it is about, at the end of it all when it's all you know when we all look at everything, it's all about voluntary hierarchies for me. Uh, people being able to exercise maximum freedom, maximum ability to make decisions for yourself. Now, in some cases, you know, we have problems where we bring people into our country who don't agree with that, and they they break that. So uh, in order for this type of system to work, in order for libertarianism to be successful, you really do need people who are educated in Western culture and Western ideas at the very minimum. And if I'm right, and much of culture is genetic, uh, then then you start to see why uh, libertarianism really is only even today considered uh, noteworthy and desirable in Western European nations. Um, most people that you see now who do not call themselves European, that, that say they belong to some minority – well, they have at least some that if they're that they're hardcore libertarians, you'll find that the vast majority of them have European ancestry at some point or another, 
And there are outliers from every group, no matter what that group is, people who don't fit in. And that would make sense why they would want to come live in a Western European nation that, you know, that is more liberal in, in that regard as far as freedom goes. So I, I think that, that we need to keep on track and we need to keep studying Western culture and talking about all of these topics. It's, been, it's definitely been a pleasure of mine to take, to take part in all of these. Episodes, uh, and I just wanted to squeeze um, one last thing, and that might be a a very controversial point. Um, I think um, the alt right's right. If um, even though white people can't save socialism, um, and that because it's it's just a fatally flawed system. However, I think that if the white population um, decreases below 50% by the year 2050, I think um, we're, we will have economic problems. We might not, very not, well. You could be right. It, not, not, not a lot of people from third world countries or yeah, can really econ all that well. Um, some, some can, some individuals can't, but, but the, Majority of them can't. Well, on the on the flip side of that, uh, a lot uh, many of the people who used to come in that were from third world countries that we brought in that were highly successful in our system were the cream of the crop, and yeah. that's one of the things we've gotten away from. We would when we brought in people from these poor countries, we typically would bring in the cream of the crop. But so okay, so I guess it's about time to wrap this, guys. I just wanted to say thank you to Elliot coming back for this episode. It's always a pleasure to have you. I'm sure we'll have you in many more episodes if you're willing. You know, we don't get run out of town with pitchforks and torches. That, um, if that happens, then I won't be on any more episodes. It depends how, how many rocks are at me, really. <laughs> and, uh, um, David, uh, it is always a pleasure. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll be back for another episode soon. All right, gentlemen, I hope you have a good evening. And everybody out there, thanks for uh, for helping us to become in the, one of the top 50 podcasts alt-right out there in the best of 2018. We definitely appreciate your support. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, gentlemen.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.